So I want to present to you today to launch Go Big. If we have a centerpiece here at Grace that reflects our relationship with God, it's going to be worship. We have to be worshiping people. Always willing to worship. So let us begin today that worship began in eternity. For it is recorded that at the dawn of creation, the sons of God shouted for joy in an act of worship in Job 38 verse 7. Across that long bridge called time that spans the chasm between the eternity which was and the eternity which is to come, men everywhere have been commanded to worship. The Old and New Testament both loudly proclaim the call to worship. And these scriptures are my text today, found first of all out of the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's the Old Testament proclamation. The New Testament proclamation is out of the words of Jesus. Most of you can quote it. In John 4, 24, a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to speak to you for a little while today. Just simply go big through worship. Go big through worship. The psalmist cried, Oh, come and bow down. I have microphone issues in my... Being in the presence of God, not just here, but everywhere I go and in everything I do. I'm happy to submit to you this morning. It's a privilege to think that none of us are intruders into his throne room, but we are actually here today by invitation. Worship is such a privilege, and we dare not waste time in our church services by not taking advantage of his presence. Hallelujah to God. God desires worship. He seeks after it. Was not man created for his fellowship and pleasure? We usually think of worship as blessing only the human participant. But remember the words of David when he cried, Bless the Lord! Bless the Lord! Bless the Lord! Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless His holy name! Worship sustains God. He lives and revels in the praises of His people. One translation said, God lives where people praise Him. Notice the screen. Oftentimes the degree of God's presence in any service is dependent on how large a habitation of praise we build for Him. Oftentimes, the degree of God's presence in any service is dependent on how large a habitation of praise we build for Him. So if you ever walk out of here saying, I didn't really feel the presence of God today like I wanted to. Did you praise Him like He wanted you to? 
Praise the Lord. Isaiah 1, 11 and 12 gives us God's feelings toward those who go through the motion of worship long after it's lost its meaning. The prophet said, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and of fat-fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or of he-goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to trim? my courts. What a startling revelation. Didn't God require sacrifices? Didn't the Old Testament law demand burnt offering? Why is it that God condemned them for the very thing He earlier had commanded them? Because their lips professed praise, but their heart was far from Him. This meaningless act of obeisance was a stench in the nostrils of God. I want to serve notice on everybody that attends Grace Church. We don't come and give God lip service and just go through some kind of traditional motion, but we come with a heart full of thanksgiving, a heart full of praise, a heart full of worship, a heart full of gratitude, a heart full of, of I'm glad I know Jesus. I want everybody everybody here to know that our primary purpose in being here is to worship Him and to worship Him only. Everybody clap your hands and shout yes. We must understand that worship is inseparable from life. The psalmist said in Psalm 66 and verse 4, All the earth, the psalmist said, shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Isaiah said, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord, God is going to be worshipped by somebody and it might as well be us. A place of worship should be of such character that it will be easy for men to find God and difficult for them to forget Him. A place of worship should be of such character that it will be easy for men to find God and difficult for men to forget Him. Worship, according to the Hebrew, is to prostrate oneself before God out of honor, to do or pay homage, to submit oneself. In the Greek language, it means to make obeisance, to do reverence to. It is used as an act of homage and reverence. In a broad sense, worship is inseparable from life and is an expression of life. Remember, everybody worships something. Atheist worships self. The humanist worship humanity. Considering the Eastern religions, Hindus, Buddhists, Krishnas, Muslims, the followers of Confucius, all worship dead men and false gods of the imagination. 
Even the ancient American Indian worshipped the Great Spirit among many other gods. The Jews worshipped Jehovah God, but we Christian people worship Jesus Christ, who is the incarnation of the Jew of the Jehovah God. I want to say, stay here in passing. We ought to worship because of that revelation. If you don't have anything else to worship for, you can worship because you know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him as the only begotten of God full of grace and truth praise God if the word of God is to be taken literally all of creation everything God created worships him according to Psalm 148 since all of God's creation exists for the praise of His glory, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, the true issue in life is not who will worship, but when and what they will worship. So worship is absolutely inseparable from life. Everybody worships something. As a matter of fact, and I find this to be very interesting, I'll dedicate this to the three theologians up here. The Bible does not record one single society of people that did not worship. Nor does the Bible deal with atheism except for one single verse found in Psalm 14 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So it's safe then to rationalize. Aside from this occasional fool, the Bible assumes and accepts that worship is inherent in all people. Everybody worships something. Both Psalm 66 and Isaiah 66 imply that every living creature or at least every facet of the earth, shall worship God. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he lets us know that every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth shall bow one of these days to God. Some say, well, pastor, I don't know how to worship. Let me give you some good news. Look at your neighbor and say he's going to give some good news. Aren't you all thankful that when I ask you to turn around and look at your neighbor and say something, it's usually a very short segment? Have you ever been in a public place and they ask you to turn to your neighbor and quote, you know, Psalm 150, which is the longest psalm chapter in the Bible? And you're running all over each other and you can't keep track of what you're saying because of what they're saying. If there's no other need to be thankful. If you have nothing to be thankful for, you can be thankful for that. Chris, it's okay to smile. He's been picking on me all morning, so I thought I would pick back. But David said to God in Psalm 86, verse 11, that worship is learnable. You can learn how to worship. So if you don't know how, I've given you the why, 
because we're created to do that. If you don't know how, it's learnable. You can learn how to worship. To God, David cried in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me thy way. Teach me thy way. I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I want to live you for you in a way that's pleasing to you, not me. Teach me thy way. Teach me thy way. And I will walk in thy truth with my heart to fear thy name. And he said to the people, David said in Psalm 34, Come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Praise God. we, 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 We had a Sunday uh, several months ago. We had some of our smaller children sitting up here on the front row, and I guess because they were misbehaving. The next couple of Sundays, they were back with their parents. Handwriting's kind of on the wall. If you kids want to sit up here, you have to behave. You can't talk and play and what have you during church. It's not respectful. And uh, we're going to hear from Brother Gary next Sunday, but I just want to shout out to all these incredible kids on the front row all the way across here. Grace Reach had 17 this morning, and we're thankful for that. And with a church van that only seats 15, somebody had to make two trips. And uh, I think that was Brother Kelton. I thought I saw him a minute ago. There he is. But uh, awesome. Woo, 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 woo for grace reach. Amen. Thank the Lord. But we can learn how to worship. We also need to understand that worship flows out of redemption. John the Revelator said in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Redemption is the act of liberating or rescuing as from bondage or paying ransom. It's being delivered when Christ redeemed us. He liberated us from the bondage of sin by paying the only acceptable ransom which was his life. He made atonement for our sin, offsetting the penalty of the law. I thank God today. I thank God today that I know who to worship. I thank God today that I know why I worship. And it's because I've been redeemed. I've been blood-bought. I've been delivered. God has set me free. And I thank God for that. Let me give you some examples of worship. Notice... Men in different dispensations in the Word of God that were elevated into dimensions beyond were just dust that had fellowship with deity. So when we look at examples of worship, it becomes apparent that God, listen very carefully, that God has always accepted audible worship. You know, this is a true story. Sister Murphy was there and she can verify. But I heard a lady one time bragging on a man that went to their church. She was a pastor's wife. And she said, I really appreciate this man because I hear him praying silently. I looked at Sister Murph. Excuse me. I'm not used to holding the microphone. I looked at Sister Murph and I said, I need to ponder that statement for a minute. How do you hear somebody praying that you can't hear? It was an interesting thing. But God 
has always accepted audible worship. And people always observe that we Pentecostals are loud. And I've heard people say, God isn't hard of hearing. I get that. But neither is the LSU quarterback that played last night. He's not hard hearing either. If you are really loving your team, you're going to get really loud when your team's doing good, especially your coach. And our coach's name is Jesus. And when he does good and marches us down the field of victory, we have a tendency to get real loud. Not only do we get real loud, but sometimes we'll scream. And sometimes we'll woo. And sometimes we'll run. And sometimes we'll jump because our team is winning. And it's because God inhabits praise. And he accepts audible Worship. Oh, yes, he does. I've been in various churches of different faiths, and I have a lot of respect and regard for that. But it drives me insane when the minister will make a, just a wonderful statement of accolade toward God, and people sit there and look at him. I haven't said this in a long time. Like a cow looking at a new gate. Well, if you're happy about what the man just said about the God you love, then we need to make some noise. Because the Bible says to make a joyful noise. You don't make silent noise. It's got to be voluminous and audible coming out of your mouth. You get the point. Not only does he accept this vocal expression from an individual, but prayer and praise in concert is prominent throughout the holy book. There are those who will say it's not necessary to express ourselves vocally to the Lord. He already knows our heart, but it is always pleasing to God to see his people put into action what he already knows is in their heart. If it's in your heart, put it into action. Okay, you apply your little quiet, silent concept to your marriage. I love the story about the man and woman got married. And he told his wife on their wedding day, I'm going to say this one time, I love you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. They're destined for a real happy marriage. You can just see it coming. Abraham, when commanded, was willing to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Notice in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. And he said, the angel said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do any thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The phrase, now I know, does not indicate that God did not know that Abraham feared him. But it simply teaches us that God desires a visible, audible, free expression of our devotion and commitment To him. Yes, he knows what's in your heart, but it sure is nice when he can see you act on it. 
Notice the upper room when the Holy Ghost invasion took place and the Spirit descended bringing its credentials, tongues of fire to replace tongues of flesh. The Bible said in Luke 24, 52, and they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. It started that way. It's got to continue that way and it will end that way. Concerted, collective, cooperative, audible worship has always been expected and acceptable unto the Lord. E.S. Williams' report on the memories of the Azusa Street Mission in the early 1900s records healing for the body was fervently taught, but it was not put in first place. Demons were cast out, he said, but worship was our principal theme. The New Testament church considered every endeavor towards the kingdom of God as worship. And this is where I want you to start taking note. The New Testament church considered every endeavor they did toward the kingdom as worship. To them, worship was not simply an act reserved for a special time when they assembled for church. But it was included in their daily service to God. Notice Jesus himself said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So worship and service goes hand in hand. It's impossible to distinguish between service and worship. We must use our every endeavor for the kingdom as an opportunity to worship. As pastor, I look at everything I do in the kingdom as worship. Everything I do is unto Him, and it's worship. It's not a duty. It's not a job. It's not a career. It's worship. It's worship. Everybody say worship. I do it as unto the Lord. It's worship. They do what they do as unto the Lord. It's worship. All of our Sunday school teachers, I see you come in. I visit with you sometimes in your class. Sister Melanie teaching the little bitty squirts right across the hall every Sunday morning. It's not a duty. It's not a job that she does because nobody else will do it. It's not a job that she does because she is incredibly gifted and just perfect for that age group of kids. It's a hand and a glove, if you will. But she does it, not for all of those reasons, but she does it because she wants to worship God in service. We have a group of ladies that feeds our Grace Reach kids breakfast every Sunday morning. That was at the forefront of the preparation of this message today. Those ladies that do that, this was at the forefront. I want them to know that every pancake you cook, every biscuit you bake, every egg that you fry, every donut that you bring, it's all worship unto Him because you can't separate worship and service. To our media booth people, to our musicians and singers, to our youth ministry, to Grace Reach. Every sermon, every lesson, every service, every song is a fresh opportunity to worship Him while we serve 
Him. It has been said, I worship while I serve, or I worship by serving. It is for this reason that they could rejoice in the New Testament when beaten. They could count it joy that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. One man made this observation. We are prone to swing between fervent zeal and overemphasis upon being calm. And perhaps it can mean a real peril if we attempt to perfect a balance. At times we need both extremes. In the exercise of spiritual gifts, the church has often quenched the spirit after an outburst of prophesying and speaking in tongues. Wise Pentecostal leadership aims at a balance where all things are done decently and in order. But I'm here to serve notice to continue quoting this man. This is my preference. I would prefer the uproar of a school playground than the calm of a graveyard. The woman who impulsively poured the costly ointment on the head of Christ at Bethany won his lasting praise more than the staid disciples who found fault. I believe it is proper for the saints of God to get happy and to shout aloud for joy. All right, let's rehearse that one one more time. I believe it is proper for the saints of God to get happy and shout aloud for joy. Is anybody happy here today? Has God been good to anybody here today? Why don't about eight people jump to your feet and clap your hand and shout, yes! Come on, clap your hands if you love Jesus. Hallelujah to God. Oh, yes. You may be seated. The Amplified Bible translation of 1 Peter 1.8 says, Without having seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. Notice, and exalt exult and thrill with inexpressible and glorious, triumphant, heavenly joy. The word exult means to leap vigorously, to be high in spirits. This is what the Bible teaches about acting on what God already knows is in our heart. I love this verse Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Is it okay to say that sometimes we lose our joy? So when you rejoice, you rejoy. You get your joy back. You allowed the devil to take something away, but you realize that something is absent in your life called joy, and you want it back. Paul said to rejoice in the Lord always. It's okay to rejoice. You just rejoice. When you lose your joy, you get it back. You do this in the Lord, and you do it always. You want to stay in possession of your joy. And Jesus said, the Bible said that even Jesus leaped. For joy. If it's in your heart, then act on it. Another interesting factor of Pentecostal worship 
is that it is accompanied with great joy. The saying is still true, blessed are they that know the joyful sound. To some, the Pentecostal noise created in worship is a nerve-wracking sound. I wish they'd turn that music down. It's too loud. I wish they wouldn't sing that song so long. There's people here today that's wanting to shout amen so bad you don't know what to do and you just... If it's in your heart, you might as well act on it. I'm kidding. We'll go the other way. Man, when you read the Bible and you interpret the Bible correctly, this silent, mute reverence is not what God expects in a public gathering. He wants you to get noisy and to expound and to manifest on what's in your heart. If it's in your heart, show it. Let your face show it. Let your hands show it. Let your feet show it. But to some, it's a nerve-wracking sound. To the dull ear, it's an uninteresting sound. To worldly hearts, it's a disturbing sound. But to the lovers of Jesus, the rippling waves of praise are still joyful sound. Christian holiness that is the cleansing of oneself of flesh and cleansing the flesh and spirit. And spirit-inspired worship are conjoined twins. You worship God in the beauty of holiness. You can't separate the two. So when your flesh and spirit has been cleansed and you can begin to worship God, they go hand in hand. One cannot approach God in exuberant worship if condemnation and sin is found in the person's heart. So together today we pray audibly to the Lord in unison. Together we clap our hands to His glory. Unashamedly we lift holy hands while praising His name. Not only is this method of worship scriptural, it is most beneficial to the individual as well. Though the mighty Russian wind, the speaking in tongues, the particular actions, the audible praises to God were perplexing to the bystanders on the day of Pentecost, they were most normal to the mind of God. So as long as the church remains truly Pentecostal, these actions will be most evident as the cries of newborn babies are blended with the rejoicing of the sanctified ones. Notice the screen. We must never allow ourselves to feel that we have matured to the place that this type of worship is no longer necessary. As a matter of fact, I believe the more you mature in Christ, the more you realize the awesomeness of worship. We must at all times heed the admonishment of Paul that all things are to be done decently and in order, but yet we must never become so overly concerned with fanaticism that we have no emotion or expression left. Someone said, while... We then should guard against fleshly emotion and man-made excitement. We ought to, on the other hand, shudder at the sleepy listlessness wherein the coming Savior found the wise and foolish virgin. So afraid of we, so afraid are we, excuse me, of wildfire that we could become quite satisfied with no fire, but not here.
I'd rather have to put out wildfire than to try to ignite new fire. Hallelujah to God. Stand with me today. Here's my focus. My conclusion is my focus. I want everybody to give here for a moment. And this is in no way to embarrass or put our guest on the spot. You participate as you feel to. But one of the best prayer and praise weapons that we have is speaking with other tongues. I'm going to tell you why. And most of you don't know why. But I'm going to tell you. It would seem that prayer and praise in which the mind is unfruitful would have little value. What blessing can it be to pray in tongues when you have no idea what you're praying about? Notice, actually, one of the greatest blessings is that tongues are not subject to the limitations of your human intelligence. A prayer with a mind comes from the heart and must pass through a maze of linguistic, theological, rational emotions, and personal checkpoints before it's released upwards. Every time you pray, that prayer goes through those five or six different channels before it ever comes out of your mouth. So by the time it finally emerges, it may be little more than a slender trickle, but utterance in tongues comes upward from the depths And instead of being channeled through the mind, it flows directly to God in a stream of spirit-prompted prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. Undoubtedly, there must have been a prophetic strain in the words of Paul's admonition when he said, Rejoice evermore. I'm going to come back to the speaking in tongues thing in a moment, but let me go to eternity for a moment. Descriptions of worship in eternity are plentiful in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, this is in heaven. If you're uncomfortable with loud, noisy worship here, you may not want to go to heaven. But if you go to other place, I have a feeling it's going to be pretty loud too because it's pretty hard to keep quiet in that environment. I've never known of anybody that got burnt and didn't do nothing, didn't say nothing. And I beheld, John said, and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and blessing. In Revelation chapter 7, And all the angels stood around about the throne, and about the elders, and the four priests, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. In Revelation chapter 5, And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor, 
honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The environment of heaven is going to be worship. Worship. We must worship here if we ever plan to worship there. There will come the time when the eons of eternity, when we will not need church discipline, our articles of faith, our tools of evangelism, or even our cardinal doctrines. However, there will never come a time when the tongue will not find its highest employment in the praise and worship of Jesus. Even as children of God, there will come that day when we will keep an appointment with the death angel. But as we lift our weak voice the last time and say, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Before crossing beyond the veil, the words of Sir Winston Churchill will be most applicable. This is not the beginning of the end, but only the end of the beginning. In launching Go Big today, It's my prayer and my aim that everybody in this building could worship God today before you leave in that heavenly tongue so that your worship don't have to go through that maze of linguistics and emotion and theology theology and all of that baloney before it ever comes out of your mouth. I want us to come from way down deep and open our mouth and in one voice worship Him in that heavenly language as He is so worthy of. The Bible said that God is great and He is greatly to be praised. Those of you that will, and we give honor to our guests today, if you want to participate, you feel free. Please feel free. But I'm going to ask everybody to come around the front. We're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to put anybody on the spot. But I want everyone to come around the front. And I want them to begin to play and sing. I want you to create an atmosphere of faith and worship here today. And my goal, my aim, as we launch Go Big, is to launch our ultimate expression to God in worship. And that's to worship Him in a language that only He understands. A language that He can only feel the fervency of. A language that only He can feel blessed. I don't want God to ever forget this service. I don't want you to forget it, but I don't want Him to forget it as you come quickly to the front as they begin to sing. If you feel to, throw your hands in the air and begin to worship God and let God hear your worship. Let Him hear you. Let Him hear you. Let Him hear you. God, I'm going to worship you today in a way that you'll never forget. I'm going to worship you today in a way that you'll never forget. You'll never forget today. Go ahead, folks. Let it roll. From your innermost being, Jesus said, shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, 
that they which believe on him should receive. Go ahead, let it come out of your mouth. Let it come out of your mouth. Come on, somebody go big this morning. It's been too long. It's been too long.